I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Richard, why don't you come up and uh, we'll pray for you before you speak to us. You want to lift out a hand towards Richard? Father, thank you for Richard. Thank you for his, his ministry here in Chiswick and beyond. Um, Father, we uh, pray energy uh, for this fourth preach of the day. Uh, we pray it would be uh, the best one for us. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Chris. And what amazing, impeccable timing in your, uh, your words there. Um, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Richard, why don't you come up? That was uh, carefully put together. Uh, so well done, Chris. Uh, good, good timing. Uh, this is the series finale of our, our, our value series, and we've been looking at being party people, spirit-filled people, Bible people, realistic people, humble people in a spiritual battle, but on the winning side, loved by the Father, called by the Son, uh, dangerously radical, and headed for wholeness. And uh, that's the 10 things we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And I want you to imagine tonight that you were three years on from this reading. You're a little man, or maybe not a little man, called Zacchaeus. And you've heard that Jesus is coming to your town, which is Jericho, which is a long way away from where this reading happened, way, way, way down at the bottom of the, uh, the Jordan, heading towards the Dead Sea. Uh, I wonder which of those 10 things that you might have heard about Jesus most stands out to you. There you are. And it might be that you're small, incidentally, this is a little bit of pop trivia for you from the Bible, or it might be that Jesus is really small. Uh, is ambivalent in the Greek. If you, if you read in uh, Luke 19, it says that a small man named Zacchaeus in our translation, but it could be a small man, Jesus. Um, so maybe Jesus is like five foot nothing and walking around doing his miracles and Zacchaeus is like, I can't see him. So anyway, he climbs a tree. I wonder which of those things you've heard about Jesus is the thing that causes you to climb a tree because you want to see this guy and you want to uh, get a hang of him. Is it that he knows his Bible? Well, Frankly, everyone in that country knows their Bible. Is it that he's saying that people need to repent? He's realistic about sin? Well, there's plenty of those people around as well. Is it that he's filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, that's certainly pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, and you might want to see some miracles going on, but I think he's got a, a deeper need than that. Is it, is it the humility? Well, maybe, but, you know, loved by the Father, caught by the Son stuff, probably not so much, headed for wholeness, I don't know how much he wanted wholeness, but there was something dangerous and radical about Jesus. And I reckon that's probably what was gripping Zacchaeus, because he might have heard this story that we've heard read tonight of a man called Levi. Is Levi still in the house? Have we got Levi somewhere? He's, oh yeah, he's hiding over there on the beanbags. And, and um, oh, it's almost like worth using him as a visual aid, isn't it? As though he's saying, yes, okay, well, we'll, get on to, we'll get on to Levi. He's heard this story of Levi, and and heard that even a scumbag like Levi <laughs> uh, could become one of Jesus' disciples. Hello, Levi. Visualize. Oh, lovely. Um, and he's heard that Jesus was dangerously radical enough to hang out with someone like Levi and even to go to his house and have fear with him and even to let him become his disciple. You might have also heard that once Jesus let him be his disciple, he changed his name to Matthew. <laughs> and uh, sort of said, uh, you know, let's, let's upgrade the name as well as uh, make you a disciple sort of thing. Uh, but there's Zacchaeus near the end of Jesus' ministry going, I wonder if he could do to me what he did for Levi. I wonder if he might let me in as well. 
And Levi comes right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He gets to follow Jesus all around. At this point, if you've been following our series, Jesus has basically called two sets of brothers. And it might be that Levi also is, is a set of brothers within the disciples with a guy called James. At least if they're not a pair of brothers, they've both got a father with the same name, Alphaeus. But it is, it's quite possibly he's not, but it could be that he's another pair of brothers and disciples. But these first two pairs of brothers, do you remember what they were like? They were normal fishermen, weren't they? And if you've uh, heard us talk about the Rob Bell Numa DVD on it, uh, the, the whole point of that uh, Numa DVD is that they were the least of the least of the least. They were the ones who didn't get through their GCSE um, in religious studies, didn't get through the A-level, certainly didn't get anywhere near the degree course. Uh, and so the fishermen. And Jesus comes along as the rabbi and says, you could be like me. And they go, I want to be like you. And they start walking and talking like Jesus and following along with him. And so that's, that's, that was their thing. They're like, we're normal, common people. And uh, he wants to be with common people like me. And, uh, and they, they start to follow him. And then Levi is anything but a common person. He is, uh, so, well, he's called a tax collector here, but it's like a customs official. He's working for a guy called Herod Antipas, who's the ruler of Galilee. That bit wasn't under Roman occupation. He was working for Herod. Uh, and what he would have to do is when Peter and Andrew and James and John got off their boats with their catch of a few hundred fish, they'd have to bring it to Levi. And they've probably been doing it for the last 15 years of their life. And they'd have to go, uh, Levi, here's our catch. And the temptation to hide half the catch in the boat would have been huge. And Levi would be like, ah, you've had a good day at work, I see. Um, well, there's one for you, one for me, one for you, one for Herod, one for you, one for me, one for Herod, one for you, one for me. And he would tax them on all their hard work. They've been out all night fishing, dear Andrew and Peter and James and John. And they get to Levi, he basically robs them blind as far as they're concerned of their fish. There's every chance that they've known this guy for over a decade. And every chance that they're, they're pretty fed up with him as well. So they've joined the band of Jesus' followers, these two pairs of brothers. And they've seen some miracles. Jesus has healed someone. They've got this whole headed for wholeness thing going on. They've seen demons flee. It's been pretty exciting so far. And then Jesus goes up to flipping Levi and says exactly the same thing to this rich so-and-so that he said to them, come and follow me. I just wonder how those four brothers felt about this. And I was saying this morning at some length, I won't go right through it all now, but I was saying that there's some indications in the scripture that they weren't that thrilled about this. For one, Mark's gospel is probably, um, probably the work of uh, Peter, the great apostle. Not directly, but he probably told the stories to Mark. And Mark wrote it down in sort of rapid action fashion. And the whole point of Mark's gospel is to get you to the point that this, this passage gets you to, that Jesus hasn't come to call the righteous but sinners. And when he dies on the cross, at the end of Mark's gospel, you're like, he's really done that for sinners. He's done that to seek and save those who are lost. He's come to save us from our sins so we can repent. That's the whole point of Jesus' life. And Mark's gospel makes it just so snappy that you, you get there really quickly. And in Mark's gospel, a.k.a. Peter's gospel, the guy in this story is called Levi. And that's probably the name that they've sort of hated him by for 10 or 15 years. 
And it's an ironic name because, as you know, as great Bible scholars, Levi in the Old Testament was the the name of uh, the brother from whom the Levites came. And the Levites were supposed to be those really holy people, the priestly people. So if you've got a guy working as a customs official robbing you blind who's called Levi, he's sort of like a disgrace to his name. You're like, who is this guy? He's named awfully. I can't even stand the name Levi anymore. Have you ever changed your mind about someone? You've uh, you got to know them, you thought they were awful, and over time, you've changed your mind of them completely. Ever had that experience? Um, often it happens the other way around to me. People think I'm all right, and then over time, it goes downhill. But um, in one example in my life, it happened that way around. I, I became a curate at a church that was also getting a guy in his 60s ordained on the same day, and I went to Litchfield Cathedral, and one of the guy who was getting ordained's friends, Doug, was there. And he was there to support his friend Ivor, who was a lovely, lovely old man, an older man. Um, and, and I was there as well, age 26. And uh, he looked at Ivor, and he looked at me, and he told me later, he said a little prayer. He said, God, thank you that we've got Ivor, but do we really have to have Richard as well? <laughs> and which was, you know, an encouraging opening prayer when, you, when you're getting ordained. Uh, hopefully you won't get one of those, Maddie, uh, coming up soon. But actually what happened is a few months later, I've been preaching a, a sermon or something. He burst into tears because it hit, hit and resonated with him. And we prayed together and we became firm friends. We, we changed our thing. And his first impression of me was tied up in that, oh, I don't want this young guy around in my church. But as, she, as we got towards the end of our time there, we had totally a different relationship. I imagine that's probably what happened to Peter, Andrew, James, and John with Levi, who becomes Matthew. Matthew's their mate. Matthew's their comrade at arms. Matthew's their brother on a journey. Matthew's the guy on a mission. <laughs> Levi's the sort of the hangover of who he was. And so even in Mark's gospel, when it gets to the list of the apostles, uh, in this chapter, he's called Levi, and the list of the apostles, just a couple of chapters later, he's called Matthew. He's sort of changed his name over already. But if you look into Matthew's own account of this in Matthew's gospel, that's what this guy becomes, the writer of the first gospel, he calls himself Matthew all the way through. It's a bit like someone was praying for me earlier on, and they said, you know, whatever you think you need to do in terms of performance or whatever, God already says you're right without you performing. I wonder if you, if you know that truth. It's so hard, isn't it? We strive to be things that people want us to be so much of the time. Whatever, whatever you think you need to be to forget it, God already says you're right. And Matthew has this revelation that he was loved right from the start before he'd been in the band of brothers, before he'd been on the mission trips, before he'd done the journeys, before he'd seen the great things, he was already Matthew. Jesus already knew him by his truest name. Even in that first encounter, I want to come to your house, come follow me, Matthew, is how he remembers it. And get this, not only uh, that, in, in Peter or Mark's account, as they go through, um, the next thing that happens is a, a little thing about, um, about uh, fasting. Um, and then it just flips in uh, chapter 2, verse 23, onto one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields. Aye, it's moved on to another thing. And then a couple of chapters later, it comes back to an incredible story about Jesus raising a dead girl and healing a sick woman in chapter 5, verse uh, 21. 
But if you go back into Matthew's account, what you discover is those things all happened on the same day. And for Peter, it probably didn't really matter to him. It just sort of happened at some point. I'm just going to, I can remember. We were in Capernaum one day, and, and Jesus healed this in, incredibly sick girl who actually died, and something else happened along the way. For Matthew, he knew this was his day. This was his day zero in his new life. There he was. Jesus says, come and follow me. He has a party for him at his house. And then on the door of his house, a house that good Jews would never cross the threshold of, comes a knock. And who's knocking on the door? A guy called Jairus. And who's Jairus? The ruler of the synagogue. Like he's the local bishop, if you like. Knock, knock at the door. Hello? Excuse me, who's that? And this guy's in floods of tears, I guess, because his daughter's basically dying, and he's so desperate, he's even knocking on Matthew's house, the tax collector, which might pollute him. If he walks into his house, he'll be polluted because he's in a polluted person's house, as it were, because he knows that the guest of honor in the house, Jesus, is the only one who could help him. And Matthew's going to remember this to his dying day, isn't he? This is the big day of his life, day zero. And knocking on the door of his house comes Jairus. And Jesus probably looks across at him and goes, do you mind if we go? And he's like, what, me too? And Jesus is like, yeah, come on, follow me. And so, um, come on, Matthew, rise up and walk. That was last week's talk. <laughs> okay. And so Jesus walks along. And, and, and Levi, Matthew, comes walking too. And he's walking along the road, and they're, gonna, they're on a mission together. And like this, he's ecstatic. I'm on mission. I'm on mission. There's, there's a girl who's dying. I'm going to see a miracle. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in on the action. I've heard about this. I'm going to see it. Suddenly, Jesus stops like this. Power's gone out from me. Who touched me? And you'll know the story. I won't go right through it now, but basically, a woman has been bleeding for 12 years. And she just says, she just touches him in faith. That if she touches him, she'll be healed. And Jesus spends ages just restoring her. And then they carry on again. And, uh, and Levi's coming too. He's on a mission again. He's seen an incredible miracle. And now they're there. And he's told to wait outside while the crack troops go in. Um, James, John, and, and Peter. Because he's still not quite up on his faith levels enough to go up. And Jesus goes into this girl and just says, come on, up you get. And this dead girl rises and when Matthew comes to write his story down years later he remembers that it all happened on the same day he looks at what Mark's written down and he goes I remember this was my day zero give the man a clap he's a, he's a great Matthew he's a great Matthew isn't Jesus amazing it's not just that he wants the downtrodden and the poor He's also after the educated and the able. It's not just that he wants people who didn't make the grade. He's also after people who did make the grade. But how do we know who he's after? Well, some people have a go at him and say, why are you hanging out with Levi and his friends? And he says to these people, these, these smug people, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's an ancient proverb he's quoting. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
In other words, anyone who's prepared to go, I'm not good enough on my own. As Jesus puts it in another place, the poor in spirit. Anyone who's poor in spirit, anyone who's prepared to go, I'm a sinner, I need help. They're the ones he's here for. Is it just for the sinners he's come for? Is there a category of righteous people who don't really need him? Is Jesus being ironic? You know, the righteous people, and they're all supposed to go, oh, no, I'm not really righteous. Well, maybe, maybe not. It's, it's quite hard to puzzle it through, actually. I think probably what Jesus is doing is not a heavy load of sarcasm, like, oh, you're so righteous, you know, you just haven't realized yet that you're a sinner. I think he's probably quite affirming of the fact that these guys have kept the law and they're trying their best. I don't, I don't think he's dissing them for their good works and their good effort and their, their diligence. But I think what he's trying to provoke is the sort of sense of, you know, it's only when you know you need me that this is really going to work. However good you thought you were. It's only when you, you clock that you really need me. And look, the people who are desperate for me, as he says elsewhere, they're going to walk into heaven ahead of you. The people who are really poor in spirit, they're going to find it easier to get this message than you guys who think you're, you're good enough because of all you do, all your religious actions. Such as you look around the world, it's one of the things that can scare you. It could be that Karl Marx was, was right, that, that religion can be the opiate of the people. I've often wondered it about church schools. If you, you know, inject people with a little bit of religion, it's like an inoculation against the, the full thing. You know? That's how we stop people having a smallpox, isn't it? We inject them with a little bit of chickenpox so that they don't catch the whole thing. Uh, I wonder that. Like, do we give people just a tiny bit and say, mm. is that not quite scientifically accurate? Go on, there you are, that's right. The, the scientific edit on the sermon. It'll get scrubbed into the talk later. <laughs> um, but, but did you see the point? It's easy to sort of think, oh, yeah, I'm all right-ish. And then sometimes your life just doesn't add up anymore. And I wonder if that was what was going on for, for our Levi there. I mean, it's a very radical thing he does. He's come and follow me. He's a successful, like, sort of middle-ranking businessman. Like, what was going on emotionally inside his head to drop all that. I wonder if the security net he'd been building up through his life had begun to weigh him down a bit. You know, every time he'd made a decision to get a little bit wealthier, a little bit more secure, a little bit more, you know, my pension, whether gradually that security net had become like uh, Marley's ghost's chains in The Christmas Carol Story by Dickens. And it started to weigh him down. And when Jesus said, follow him, throwing away his security net was as real a thing for him as the fishermen throwing away their fishing nets. He's like, it's not about how well I did at school anymore. It's not about how wealthy I've been. It's not that I can throw a party for scores of people in my house because I've got a nice big house in a nice town. I just need something deeper than that. I need him. And, um, next week, we've actually got a guest speaker coming. Um, he's going to tell the story in, in the evening service of when his life fell apart and um, lots of things going for him. 
And he ended up, uh, I won't tell the whole story, but acute depression and other anguish. And it's, it's quite, it's an extraordinary story. Do be here if you can next, next Sunday at six o'clock. I think God's going to minister to us a lot. Because a, a lot of our time we spend building up these incredible security nets. And sometimes they can weigh us right down. And you see Jesus and he goes, how about you just follow me? And something in you becomes as dangerously radical as Jesus. And you're like, flip me. I'd just give it all up for him right now. Give it all up for him. The sad thing is in our culture, we see people giving it all up for far less than Jesus when they get to those breaking points. They're weighed down by everything they've spent years building up, their success, their achievements, their money. And they just can't spin the plates anymore. And they go out one night, they get drunk, meet an attractive person in a bar, they have an old colleague they connect to on Facebook or something. And before you know it, everything they've built up in terms of their integrity and character, boom, in an instant. So people give it all up for absolutely stupid things. But the wise give it all up for the giver of life, for Jesus, for the one who makes life work. And that's what this guy did. And three years later, that's what Zacchaeus did as well, down in Jericho. Here he's coming. I wonder if he could change my life as well. He was very rich, Zacchaeus. I wonder if he could change my life as well. And Jesus says, come on down from your tree, Zacchaeus. I want to go to your house today. It's like, that's what I've been longing for. I really want to meet Jesus in my house. And Jesus goes in, and at the end of the meal, Zacchaeus says, if I've ever wronged anyone, I'll give back multiples, fourfold of what I've wronged people with. And here's half of my possessions to the poor right now. Jesus must have been extraordinary, mustn't he? I mean, something about him that just changed people in conversation. Either made them more angry and hateful or brought them incredible life. I wonder what he wants to say to you tonight as you gaze on him and look on him. I wonder what it would be like to follow him tonight for you. Amen.